Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue in the book of Genesis chapter 1. Here's Tom. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He said, you have to become like little children. Otherwise, you can't get in. Just believe. Because what is it in Genesis 1.1? It's, it's like a test verse. It's like a simple question. We could just simply believe? The first verse in the Bible is like a gate. It's like a gate verse. And the tragedy is that most people, when they come to this verse, they don't get through the gate. And people desperately need what the Bible has to offer. Most people, though, can't get through the gate. But he says, the word was God, and he goes on, the same was in the beginning with God. He says, all all things, everything, every single thing was made by the word. You have to humble yourself because you have to say, okay, I choose to believe Genesis 1.1. You know that every person in hell today is there for the same reason. It's just one reason. You know what that is? P-R-I-D-E. That's it. That's it. Pride. God resisteth the proud. That's not a good thing, to have God resist you. You know, it says in Proverbs 6, it says, This six things does the Lord hate. He uses the word hate. Hate. Seven are an abomination unto him. First, a proud look, a high look, an arrogant look. Remember, the greatest rules is, number one, don't make God mad. Number two, make God happy. But it's very, very clear. It's a 24-hour day, and and God did everything on these 24 hours, and if you add up the time like we talked about, and you know the 2,000 years since the Lord, then you get about 6,000 years. So how, how can you avoid the, the tragedy of, of, uh, of not getting through this, this gate of when? Well, it's a very simple explanation. And, and it doesn't have to do with the helium argon or the zircons or anything like that. It's very simple that if, if, if right after, you know, Adam was created, and right after he was created, God talked to him. They communicated. God said, you know, now I made you, so be fruitful take care of the garden and so forth, right there. Now, if you were to go up to Adam right after that conversation and you say, you know, excuse me, excuse me, Adam, because you're nice, and you said, how old are you? And then Adam would say, I'm one hour old. <laughs> he would say, now, come on, you're not one hour old. You know, you're, you're at least, you're probably 32. You're 32, that's how old you are, and you tell the truth. No, she says, I'm telling you, I'm one hour old. He said, I'm one hour old. So, but you... Well, you got to be at least over 20. Is it? But he was one hour old. But he didn't look like he was one hour old. He looked like he was older. He appeared to be older than he was. That's called the creation with the appearance of age. You know, the farthest star that we have away from us, scientists tell us, is 13.2 billion light years. If you're taking notes, you want to write down Abel 1835. That's the star. So the internet says. Anyway. So when God created that light, or God created that star, so, it takes, so when the light starts from that star and it gets to us, it takes 13.2 billion years to, to get to us. 
Well, you know, God is able to create the light in its path also, so that we can see that. So that if you say, well, that, that, that can't be, you know, that, that, you know, at the museum, Creation Museum, the, we, we have this, uh, a plaque when you first walk in. And I was thinking, because, you know, all these arguments, you know, like, oh, no, it can't be that, it can't be that. And I was thinking, there's got to be one simple verse that answers all the arguments that people come up against why Genesis 1-1 isn't true. So we made this plaque, and it says on there, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. That's what it says. And then, very simple verse after that is from Genesis 18. Genesis 18, 24. And it says, is there anything too hard for God? And we have a little counter there. With the, you, can, you can write down your list of what's too hard for God. Is, is that too hard for God to put the light in the way? Is that too hard for God? See, because, we, because figuring out what the age of the earth is, that's forensic science. That's trying to figure out from what you have now what happened then. Great disadvantage in that because it's just speculation. But if God created with the appearance of age, all right. So that's that. All right, now, here scientists say today, the Big Bang, which is nothing exploded, and we have the universe. We have the cosmos. Nothing exploded. <laughs> Can you buy that? Nothing exploded. Remember? I think I did this one time. I said that would make a, make a great Abbott and Costello routine. You know, <laughs> you'd come along, and Abbott comes along and says, Lou, listen to me. I'm going to give you a, a, a basic science lesson. And he says, you're ready, Lou? And he says, ready. He says, all right, here we go. Lou, nothing exploded, and we have the cosmos. You got it, Lou? Nothing exploded, and we have the cosmos. He says, I got it, I got it, I got it. I go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He says, what exploded? Nothing, Lou, nothing. <laughs> nothing exploded. We have the cosmos. He says, what did nothing do? It exploded. I told you it exploded. So, all right. All right. <laughs> then, then the biological science scientists take over, and they say, time, chance, a lot of time, chance, random processes, and we have you. We have everything. That's the explanation for it all, evolution. There's just really three basic problems to evolution. If you solve these problems, then you have no problem with evolution. The first one is, how did nothing go to something? And the second one is, how did something go to life? And the third one is, how did life go to man? You solve those, apart from that, it's fine. But God explains to us how he made man. He explains to us how he made, not only man, how he made everything. Now you want to turn to that, it's in, in Psalm 33, 6. Here's God's explanation for what he did. He says, very simple. <clears throat> he says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So, he's, so he says, he spoke. That's how it happens. So we're going to see. Well, you know that. He spoke. He commanded. And they were there. And, and so, actually, the Bible does confirm the Big Bang Theory. God spoke, and there was a Big Bang. <laughs> and for those who want even more detail, like it's not enough, God says, all right, I'll give you more detail. He says, watch me. He goes, oh. <laughs> He says, that's my more explanation. What? That's what it says. By the breath. He says, the host of them, by the breath of his mouth. <sighs> that's it. Now, it's not theistic evolution, it's theistic breath. That's how it all came about. That's it. Can God do that? Anything too hard for God? No. Who made this? The Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
God has a, uh, for those who challenge him, he has, a, he has certain questions that he would like to ask. And turn to Job 38.4. And in these questions, God asks, he says, for those who would challenge him, like he says to Job, he says, all right, Job. He says, uh, I have some questions for you. First of all, it's 38.4. He says, Job, where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? He says, where were you? He says, you know, it's like God saying, you know, I, I think I took a pretty good tally who was around when I did that. I didn't see you. You're not on the list. He says, he says I, I, I don't remember you being there, Job. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation? You can't even tell where you were at that time if you have understanding. Declare, speak, he says. Who has, laid, who, has, who has laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Who has stretched out the line upon it, whereupon the foundations thereof were fastened, and laid the cornerstone thereof? He said, when the morning stars sang together, all the sons of God shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth, as it had been issued from the womb? When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, thick darkness, a swaddling band for it, and break, for it, break up for it my decreed place, and set bars, and said, hitherto shalt thou come, no further. God says, here the two shall come no further. Verse 12, has thou commanded the morning since the days, caused the day spring? You want to turn over to, to, Gen- uh, to Job 26, 7. It says here, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. That's really something. I mean, God says, can you picture it? God, he, there's nothing. It's an empty place. And so God takes the earth and he puts, it, he puts it in a place where there's nothing. He hangs it upon nothing, and he says, now you stay there. <laughs> That's God. That's God. And so he's saying to Job, do you understand how all that happened? He says, you don't need to. He says, you don't need to. You know, here's something that doesn't sound like a smart idea. The earth, the earth is spinning around on its axis, if you're in the equator, about 1,000 miles per hour. I don't know if you feel that or not but it's spinning around 1,000 miles per hour. It's traveling through space at 1,000 miles per hour. So it's spinning at 1,000 miles per hour. It's traveling through space at 1,000 miles per hour. Let's picture this now. Now here's a little tiny man spinning around at 1,000 miles per hour, traveling through space at 1,000 miles per hour, and he's shaking his fist up at God and saying, I will not have you to rule over me. That just doesn't sound like a good idea. It's just... (laughs) So, first question, when God says, in the beginning. Second question, how? By the breath of my mouth. That's enough. That's enough. And that brings us now to the third important question, which is the one that concerns our lives. And this is when you get through those two gates, this is the one you come to, and this is the question of why. Why did God make me? What is his purpose for me? That's, the, that's, the, that's to be, as far as God is concerned, the question to occupy ourselves to all of our lives. Why? For his glory. For his glory. How do I, how do I fulfill that purpose for which I'm made? To be for God's glory. And that's what we're going to be covering next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That you work with us, Lord. That you, that you, you help us. And when we're proud, you bring a mighty hand upon us. 
so that we will be successful. You want us to finish well. You want us to be successful, Lord. And you work with us to that end. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord, you didn't set up this gate so you could laugh at people who didn't make it, Lord, but you help them, you talk to them, you're from inside, you're saying, come, come, come. And Lord, we thank you so much for that, that you saved us by your mercy and by your grace. Help us throughout this week to ponder more of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Those were thought-provoking Bible truths. Now, there's a personal question that our listeners might have who know that you're a scientist and founder and CEO of Scanabody's Laboratory. So how did you, as a published scientist, become a creationist? You know, becoming a creationist for me was like my conversion to the Lord Jesus Christ in that I wasn't raised that way. I wasn't raised to love the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in my home, we were not allowed to use the name Jesus or Christ. We could talk about Adolf Hitler, but not the name Jesus Christ. So it was not from my upbringing. In the same way, I didn't attend schools that taught creationism. Quite to the contrary, the schools that I attended, particularly University of California, San Diego, were very, very heavily evolution-based schools. I took a course called uh, Developmental Biology, which was really a course in evolution, evolution, evolution. There's no other explanation for origins. Closed case. There's no discussion. I mean, that's how I was educated. So to become a creationist was really a conversion. And it happened in the early 1970s when I was in school. The time when I was in school, there was a lot of discussion about origins, creation, evolution, life coming coming from outer space somehow in a meteor that landed on this this planet. I mean, we had regular lectures by uh, Stanley Miller, who was my professor in physical chemistry and... uh, and uh, by Francis Crick, who adhered to and taught that life came from outer space that was somehow present on a meteor that hit this country, or hit, sorry, hit this planet, and that's how we got life here. There's a lot of discussion going on. As a matter of fact, on campus, we had the debates between the Institute for Creation Research Scientist, ICR, Dr. Dwayne Gish, Dr. Henry Morris, debating my professors. It was very, very interesting. As a matter of fact, during this time on campus, uh, there was a debate with my biochemistry professor, Dr. Murray Goodman, and Dr. Dwayne Gish. And I still remember the heated arguments of it all. Well, as I mentioned, Dr. Stanley Miller was my physical chemistry teacher. Dr. Stanley Miller almost got the Nobel Prize for creating what was called the Spark Chamber, Miller's Spark Chamber Experiment, in which Professor Miller took elemental chemicals that he believed were present in the early Earth, and he set up a spark like lightning in this chamber 
and this soup that he had present there recirculated and it passed through a trap, a tarred trap, so that any amino acids which were formed spontaneously would be trapped in this tarred trap. And then he, after a period of time, broke down the chamber and analyzed the amino acids that were present, and he found that he was able to demonstrate a uh, somewhat of a spontaneous generation of a certain number of amino acids. Actually, the number of amino acids that he created, if I remember, was something like about uh, nine or so, something like that. And so this was hailed as the the proof positive that the elemental building blocks of life, all proteins are made up of amino acids, there are 22 amino acids in the body, and here he had demonstrated the spontaneous generation of something like about uh, nine amino acids. So he's missing 11, something like that, or no, it was uh, missing 13. Anyway, so, and he was my professor, and, uh, you know, I respected him. He was my professor, and and uh, he was brought to the University of California, San Diego, from the University of Chicago by Professor Yuri, who was also at the University of California, San Diego. And so, you know, here we were. So I decided to make an appointment with Professor Miller, and I had three questions. So I went to go see him. I remember he was a, he was a heavy smoker. And uh, so when I entered his office... I said, Professor Miller, I'm in your class on physical chemistry, and I have three questions that relate to origins. Very nice person. So he says to me, what are your questions? I said, well, first of all, Professor Miller, in your sparking experiment, you demonstrated the spontaneous generation of nine of the 22 amino acids found in life. And uh, so my first question is, what is your explanation for the origin or how the remaining 13 could have uh, come about. First question, number one. All right. I said, I have another question. Question number two. I said, um, as you know, uh, that in life, there's only one form, one isomeric form of amino acids found. So that means that in the laboratory, in the organic chemistry laboratory, when you create amino acids, as was the case in his sparking chamber, you have both isomeric forms. They're called the right hand and the left hand. They're so-called D for the dextro, the right, L for levro, the left. And so you have both the D and the L forms of amino acids formed. That's what you get. You get equal amounts. But in life, you only find the L form. You don't find the D form. And it's very difficult chemically to separate the D from the L. It's not easy. So he he formed both the D and the L. But in life, we only have the L form. So that was my next question. So what is your explanation for that we only find in life the L form? And I said in the last uh, question, uh, had to do with hemoglobin, Isaac Asimov was very popular at that time, and he was talking a lot about, I think there are 540 amino acids that are found in the molecule of hemoglobin, and the chance of pulling out of a bag 
uh, w- the right amino acid, if you only have the bag 22, is 1 in 22. And uh, to get the right second one is like uh, uh, 2 to the, no, 10 to the second power, something like that. And anyway, and then it, it, to get the right one, or no, it's 22. Sorry, it's 22 to the second power. So, you know, that's a number. And then to get the right one of the 22 amino acids for all 540 is 22 to the 540th power. That's an astronomical number. So I said, uh, Professor Miller, that that uh, defies all odds, as you know, of chance. So what is your explanation for how a molecule like hemoglobin could have come about by random chance, given that if you had a bag of 22 amino acids, uh, the the probability of pulling out the right ones 540 times is an astronomical number. What's your explanation? So, all right, so that's all I said. So I sat down, and Professor Miller, very nice man, he started to smoke, and he smoked a lot. And the, and the room at this time you were allowed to do this started to fill with smoke, and I was thinking to myself, boy, I might get lung cancer to get my answer. But anyway, he goes on, and he, he starts to explain, make explanations, and then he starts to tear down his own explanations. And this goes on for about 30 minutes, and he, he's getting increasingly more agitated, more frustrated. The room's filling with more and more cigarette smoke. I'm thinking to myself, I don't care about the answer to my questions. I just want to get out of here. There's too much cigarette smoke in the office. And he Anyways, at the end of the time, he looks at me and he said, I don't know. I am still searching for the origin of life. And you know what? When he said that to me, I said, thank you, Professor Miller. I walked out of there a creationist. I thought if the man who almost got the Nobel Prize for so-called proving the spontaneous generation of life says to me, I don't know. I'm still searching. I don't know the origin of life. Then I said, then I don't buy it either. And I became a creationist with that meeting. That was one thing that happened. The second thing that happened was that I went to an assistant professor at that time, and we were having a very heated discussion about creation and evolution. And he didn't want anybody to hear any longer that that he was even having this discussion So he gets up out of his seat. I'm sitting there in his office. He walks over to his door, and he shuts the door. And as he shut the door, on the back of his door was like a Playboy pinup poster. And I looked at that, and I looked at him, and it was like light bulb went on inside of me. And I said to him, I got it. I said, I'm sorry, I thought that we were having an intellectual discussion. But what I've just come to understand is that you don't have an intellectual problem with origins related to evolution and creation. You have a moral problem, I said to him. And I got up and I walked out. And I realized this whole discussion about creation and evolution, it's not an intellectual issue. It's a moral issue because the issue is God or no God. No God 
I don't have to give an account for my life. I don't have to answer to anybody. God, I got big issues, especially when I've got moral issues is what I'm going to say and how I'm going to give an account of it. So now when I talk to my 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 dear friends who are who are scientists or uh, in there if they adhere to the evolutionary uh theory I don't get into these discussions with them about well look at this evidence and look at that evidence and look at this when they tell me that they're evolutionist I with compassion I put my hand on their shoulder and I said you know what I hope you recover That's what I say. I hope you recover because you know what? When you have friendship with God, the whole issue of evolution and creation, it just vanishes away. It's gone because you have friend with the creator. You have friendship with the creator. So there's no longer an issue. Thank you for joining us today. Tomorrow, Tom will continue in the book of Genesis. If you'd like to learn more about Tom Cantor or Israel Restoration Ministries, visit our websites at friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. There you'll find more resources to help you with your friendship with God. Join us again tomorrow at the same time as we continue in Genesis. Genesis.